direction. Daryl, I'll probably never tell you this again, but I never had a better friend than you. And thank you for still being my friend. As a teenager back in Malvern, back in those days, you know, even a kid could get a job and, and buy a pretty cool car. I, I had a job just across the street. I worked at Food Center. And you could buy a car, and, and, and then you had a mission in life. We would drive, and if any of you can remember this, I, I'd like to just see some hands, but we would drive from Tasty Freeze to Dairy Queen to Parkview and then just make that loop until we had to go home. Anybody old enough to remember that? All right, thank you. I'm among some people. All right. Oh, I tell you, those were, those were good days. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> it was just a few feet from where I stand this morning that I met the love of my life, Debbie. All oh, those were the days. Those were the days. We loved our town. We loved our people. We loved our country. And I got to tell you that the future looked pretty good to my graduating class of 1969 in Malvern High School. But with college tuition being as cheap as it was and the Vietnam War being as scary as it was, a bunch of us found our way down to Henderson State College, which is now Henderson State University. All those were the days. We, we thought, we really thought the future was just without limits, so much was happening in our world. Nixon was in the White House. The Beatles had just had their last live performance. And on my eight track, Elvis was still the king. Those were the days. I think you'd probably agree with me that those days stand in stark contrast to these present days. If you're like me, you missed the Malvern of the 1960s, and I understand that. I mourn with you that it's not 1960s anymore, but we all know they're not coming back, and if they did come back, you and I wouldn't fit in there anymore. As a matter of fact, you wouldn't fit in the 1960s, Daryl, any better than you'd fit in that old leisure suit you used to have. <coughs> <laughs> In fact, there's only one thing that still fits. There's only one thing that still works. There's only one thing that doesn't have to have hearing aids or bifocals or bionic body parts. And that is God's plan for our lives. I was reading the other day in the book of John. I, I noticed in chapter 8, I noticed there were several people there that... <clears throat> all had problems the first group of people was just a group of people who were just trying to listen to Jesus Jesus was teaching a bunch of people when John chapter 8 starts Jesus is teaching all these people 
but they are interrupted by the actions of some people who have quite a different thing going on in their life. And the second group we see there, well, wasn't much of a group, but it was the woman caught in adultery. And then the third group of people in that text were the religious leaders who were very interested in fixing everybody else's problem, even wanted to trap Jesus, but they weren't so concerned with paying attention to their own problems. Please listen as I read John chapter 8, verse 12 and following. Jesus once again addressed them, I'm the world's light. No one who follows me stumbles around in the darkness. I provide plenty of light to live in. The Pharisees objected. All we have is your word on this. We need more than this to go on. Jesus replied, you're right that you only have my word, but you can depend on it being true. I know where I've come from and where I go next. You don't know where I'm from and where I'm headed. You decide according to what you see and touch. I don't make judgments like that. But even if I did, my judgment would be true because I wouldn't make it out of, I'm, I wouldn't make it out of the narrowness of my experience, but in the largeness of the one who sent me, the Father. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we are so thankful for the opportunity that we have to gather together today to listen to what you have to say to us, Lord. Lord, the prayer of our heart is that you won't leave us like you found us this morning. That, Lord, for each one of us, we'll realize that we're not too old, we're not too young, we're not too poor, we're not too rich, we're not too anything to be obedient to you, but we're at just the right place at just the right time, and you have a plan for us that not only fits our lives, but it addresses the needs of our world. Lord, please help us to listen to your Spirit. Help us, Lord, to be moved to obedience in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, there are a lot of folks stumbling around in the darkness. It's not a new problem. The fact that Jesus is the light means that Jesus is the light of God, and he is shining into our souls. You know, we have hope, y'all. We have hope because of Jesus. I'd be so upset if I thought for a minute that the hope of my life was bound up in the United States Congress. I'd be so upset if I thought that the hope of my life was bound up in any government, whether it be national, state, or local. I would not be satisfied to think that my hope was anywhere else but Jesus. If you're counting on anyone or anything besides Jesus to be the deliverance that you need in your life, you're out of luck. He brings truth into a world that's filled with lies. I wonder, I can't even remember far enough back to remember when you could turn on the TV and believe half of what you hear. 
I can't go back that far. But I know one day, if I turn on the TV this day and someone makes some sort of outlandish statement, I tend to, my first thought is, well, maybe it's true and maybe it's not. We live in a world that is filled with the darkness of lies and Jesus brings truth into that world. As a matter of fact, he brings the light of joy into the darkness of death. When we follow Jesus, we don't have to walk in the darkness of sin. Now, in the story in this chapter, we see the woman and her partner in adultery who are caught up in a lifestyle of sin. There are lots of people today who are absolutely caught up in the lifestyle of sin. And then we see these religious folks who want to trap Jesus and, and, and they want to make sure they straighten everybody else's life out, but to pay absolutely no attention to the sin and the problems in their own lives. Both of these groups are just stumbling around in the darkness. One group knows they're living in sin. The other group is just pretending that everything's okay. I wonder this morning how many church houses just in the state of Arkansas are filled with people who came to church this morning but what they're really doing is just trying to pretend that everything's okay in their life when they know it is not. They know that there is more darkness in their life than there is light. And they know that they're desperately in need of a transformation that Jesus can bring into their lives. Now, darkness is bleeding over into our world, whether we like it or not. I don't have to tell you that. You're very aware of that. But there are people all around us who have a significant darkness issue. Their lives are just characterized by sin. Now, I don't really know. I was trying to think about how to get people's attention about this thing. And I thought, well, people, maybe they want to know about what it cost. Well, in the United States, we spend six hundred billion dollars a year trying to deal with the problem of addiction. Now, I don't know what you think. You know, I, I think probably now I'm, I'm kind of starting to be an expert on addiction because I've been dealing with it for a long time. Not that I know a lot. I've just been kind of hanging out in that arena for a long time. Uh, and, and then we spend over $1 trillion a year trying to address the issue of childhood poverty. Now, from, from where I sit, again, I, I pastor a church that's, you know, don't laugh. The name of the church is the Garage Church. Okay. We focus primarily on two things, generational poverty and people who are struggling with addiction. Uh, and not only do pastor that church, but my wife and I uh, own a house called the Dexter House, which is a transitional living house for women. And so, so we're, we're kind of like hands all in these issues of poverty and addiction. And we're well aware... Uh, 
We, we work with about 300 people. Sometimes it's quite a bit more than that, but at least 300 people a week that fit into one of those two categories. And the one thing they all have in common is they've been stumbling around in darkness for a long time. Right now, I'm thinking about one of the girls that's in our Dexter house, and she's doing so well. Her name is Brandy. Brandy's 40 years old. Brandy spent her 30s in prison. Her mother raises her children. Brandy's never worked. All Brandy's ever done is sell drugs for a living. Oh, you want to know how Brandy got started on drugs? It, it wasn't that no good boyfriend she probably had. Her father introduced her to drugs. That's not uncommon. Another guy that we've worked with for years, a guy named Jeremy. When Jeremy turned 18 years old, his father bought him a meth lab. Our world's filled with people like that. We, we spend a lot of time teaching this program called Getting Ahead, which is about teaching people how to build their own bridge out of poverty. And so what I'm trying to say is that I'm painfully aware, and I suspect you are equally as aware, that there's a tremendous need for us to help people who are living in darkness. People I know need the right answer. No one has to stumble around in darkness, yet we have a nation of people who are doing so. In Arkansas, I was hope, in hopes that David Kazee would be here, but I don't, don't see him today. The last time I saw him was he was doing some ministry in the prison out here, as, I, as was I on that day. And, but do you know, 10,000 people a year in Arkansas are getting out of jail and prison. And you know where they're moving to? Right. Our neighborhood. Now, in, in a feeble attempt, our, our church has responded to that fact by this. You know, we have a team of people who are in the local county jail, which is a pretty good-sized jail. But we're there at least five days a week ministering to inmates. And then tonight, and by the way, the garage church meets on Sunday night. We don't meet on Sunday morning which is weird, but that's what we do. And then tonight, you know, we'll, the, the lesson that I teach tonight, a copy of that will be sent out along with a personal note to about 40 inmates in various prisons in the state of Arkansas. You know what many of those inmates will do? They will take that Bible study then and turn around and teach a Bible study to at least a few other people in their cells. So, so we're trying to, you know, you, you, can, you can make some, you know, uh, attempt. You know, and the point of this is not about what our church is doing. 
The point is, do something to share Jesus with those who are living in darkness. We can sit in our recliner and we can complain about how bad the world is and how good it used to be. Or we can get busy trying to make it better. You know, one of these days, Daryl and I were just talking about how old we are. <laughs> you know, that's what old people do. And we were talking about that. And you, you know why I keep doing what I do? I keep doing what I do because I believe with all my heart that I'm seeing lives changed. And I know that one day, and I hope it's raining, but one day I, I know I already got me a burial plot out at Hickory Grove Cemetery out at Bismarck. And I'm hoping on the day when they lower my chubby little body into the ground, I will be greatly comforted by thinking there might be one or two people there that could honestly be able to look to one another, maybe even with a little tear run down their eyes. And from the bottom of their heart, they might be able to say, you know, my life is on the right track because of how God used old Mike. Now, if you've got a if you've got a call in life that's greater than that, please let me know about it because I might want in on it. You see, the bottom line is I want my life to count for something. And I think God wants my life to count for something, and I think God has the exact same plan for your life as he does for mine. <laughs> it's a matter of fact, I think God's plan for my life is just as big as his plan for the Apostle Paul. And I have no reason to think that God's plan for your life is less than mine. Now, Debbie and I are blessed today to have our son Cole, his wife Vicki, and our two youngest grandchildren, Henry and Evelyn, who have obviously disappeared Grandpa's put them to sleep again. Now, here's what's so cool. I heard through the grapevine that Evelyn's Wednesday night teacher at church in Jonesboro is here this morning. Is that true? Who is that? Would you stand up? Stand up. Go ahead. Stand up. Let me, let me tell you something. Thank you for speaking into the lives of my grandkids. Thank you. Do you appreciate that? <clears throat> I tell you. <clears throat> do something. Teach some kids. Deal with some drug addicts. Help some people who can't rub two nickels together and learn how to manage their money. Do something. Share the light of the Lord with people. You can make a difference because God will help you make a difference in your life. Now, real hope exists because Jesus is the light of the world. He brings salvation to a lost world. He brings truth into a world that's filled with wrong. 
He brings the light of wisdom into a world that is so foolish that they are absolutely, obviously without direction. I can't believe I'm suggesting this, but go home and turn on your TV. I don't think it much matters what channel you watch. And just watch it. And see how long you have to watch TV until you can identify at least one person on that TV screen who seems to have no good sense of direction in their life whatsoever. I think you'll quickly conclude that our world may be filled with people who don't know which way's up. People who need the light of Jesus in their life. Now, Jesus brings the light of joy into the darkness of death. When we follow Jesus, we don't have to walk in darkness. He really can change lives. He can take a broken life. He can put the pieces back together again. He can fix families. He can bring hope into the darkness of all situations. Now, think of our world as being a big old dark house. I guess, I don't remember in Malvern, but I'm sure we probably had a house somewhere that we uh, at least heard was haunted. I want you to think of a big old dark house where there's no light. It's just dark. Maybe you drive down the street, there's not a light on in this big old house, and it's just a, looks like a scary place to be. I would like for you to, to now, I'm really going back. Are any of you old enough to remember Three Dog Night? Who can remember Three Dog Night? Okay, all right. Some of you are pretty old. All right. Do you remember this song that Three Dog Night? Can you talk about Three Dog Night in church? Uh, you remember the song, Mama Told Me Not to Come? Do you remember that? Well, here, here's a few words out of that song. It says, this is the craziest party there could ever be. Don't turn on the lights because I don't want to see. Mama told me not to come. Now we can be like that guy in those Three Dog Night song lyrics and we can stay on our side of town and we can try to avoid those people if we want to or we can turn on the light. The ones who are going to make a difference in the world are the people that say, Okay, Lord, you've got my attention. I realize, Lord, you're speaking to me. I don't know what it means. I don't know how to do it. But, Lord, I will be used. I'm volunteering, Lord. I will be used. I'm stepping across the line, Lord. I'll be used of you by your power, by your strength. I'll be used of you, Lord, to turn on the light in the darkness of this world. We turn on the light by teaching people how to follow Jesus. And it takes a lot more than just announcing to folks that Jesus is real and telling people that he loves them. We actually have to get around to teaching people how to follow Jesus it's a whole lot like raising children. We have to teach people how to do all the things that the Bible tells us to do. Some, some of the ways that we do that in, in the garage church, and, you know, we're, we're no answer to anything, but 
We just try to teach people how to do the basic things that the Bible talks about. We do things like teach people how to manage their anger. The Bible talks a lot about anger. We teach people how to manage their money. Did you know the Bible, the New Testament, talks more about money and stewardship than it does anything other than the kingdom of God? And then we try to teach people how to manage relationships. And that includes, of course, the most important relationship of all. And that is their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. As followers of Jesus, our job is a good job. We get to bring gifts better than the UPS man at Christmas. We deliver hope. And the hope that we deliver has God's guarantee on it. Jesus said, no one who follows me stumbles around in the darkness. We got his word on it. If you follow Jesus, you won't be stumbling around in darkness. Now, I remember the Malvern of 1969. I, I thought it was good, but I know it could have been better. But think about the lives of the people that you know. If we had time this morning, and I know I'm probably way over time already, but wouldn't it be the neatest thing if we just rolled in a big whiteboard and we just all came up and took a marker and we just wrote just the first name of somebody who's stumbling around in the darkness. And we just, we could fill up a big whiteboard. Probably could put one on each side and fill up both whiteboards with names of people that we know who are stumbling around in darkness. And then what if we just got on our knees before the Lord and said, Lord, Lord, help us to bring the light of Jesus into the darkness of the lives of the people that we know. <laughs> I suspect too many people are too well satisfied with coming to church on Sunday morning when they hadn't got anything else to do. <laughs> In fact, if you're one of those, you may be sorry you chose this day, but... <clears throat> And, and we're, we're kind of okay just to sit in a church pew and, and yell, go get them, preacher. I, I don't really think that's God's call on any of our lives. I think God's call on our lives is to say, here I am, Lord. <laughs> Send me. Lord, use me. Lord, I'll go. Lord, you'll have to teach me what to do. My wife was recently teaching this verse of Scripture to her children's class on Sunday nights. Abby's a little girl in our class who's probably nine years old. And we've been ministering to Abby and her family for a long time. And you know what Abby said? Abby said, my mother's living in darkness. I think about all the Abbeys in this world who at nine years old are smart enough to know their mama's living in darkness. And I know her, she is. Little kids who couldn't have a better Christmas imaginable than for their mama 
to come face to face with the fact that they're living in darkness and the answer is Jesus Christ and they would allow the Lord to turn their life around. It's possible. It's guaranteed. Again, Jesus once again addressed them. I'm the world's light. No one who follows me stumbles around in darkness. I provide plenty of light to live in. But the question is, how do we get started? Well, you know. It starts with us. As, as Daryl said, our oldest son, his family, live in China. And so last month, we found ourselves on an airplane going to China to see our son, his wife, and our four oldest grandchildren. And it was kind of interesting. You, you know how it is. Now, they didn't say it just, quite, just like this, but when we got on that airplane, the, the flight attendants said something that I don't know what they said, but here's how I heard it. It's like, well, we're, we're planning to, to land this airplane in China. But if things don't go exactly like we've planned, we want you to know that the bottom of your seat can be used as a flotation device. And please keep your seat belt fastened because every once in a while when we're flying around up here, something crazy happens. And we want you to stay strapped in. You've got a better chance of survival if you stay strapped in. And then the thing that really got my attention said, now, <laughs> should you start to breathe, now this is, this is my interpretation, should you start to breathe and there's no air in this cabin, there'll be these air masks, oxygen masks, that fall down out of the ceiling. Now, if you're traveling with a small child or a person in need of assistance, <clears throat> you, you know the routine. Put your own mask on first before you try to help somebody else. You see, the reason, the problem that we're experiencing with so many people stumbling around in darkness is that the people who are supposed to be leading our nation and our world, our churches, and most importantly, our homes are stumbling around in the darkness themselves. We need mamas and daddies who see the light. And there is only one source of light, and that is Jesus Christ. The result of not following the light is... You'll die in your sins. If you read John chapter 8 on down until you get to verse 23, you'll hear these words. Jesus said, You're tied down to the mundane. I am in touch with what is beyond your horizons. You live in terms of what you see and touch. I'm living on other terms. I told you that you were missing God in all this. You're at a dead end. If you won't believe I'm who I say I am, 
You're at the dead end of sins. You're missing God in your lives. 1969 is never coming back again. But as sure as the sun comes up tomorrow morning, each one of us will get to decide what we're going to do with the rest of our lives. And we get to decide that one day at a time. The question is, will you follow Jesus? I suspect you've been coming to church long enough to know that that begins by you giving your life to him and you accepting him as your new life. My plead with you today, do something right. Make your life count by following Jesus. As our musicians come, we'll prepare for a hymn of invitation. Would you stand with me, please, and listen closely. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, let me, let me tell you what I understand that to mean. You've got to come to a place in your life to where you agree with God the Father that Jesus is your Lord. Jesus doesn't want to be your suggestion maker. He wants to be the one in charge of your life. If you'll agree with the Father for Jesus to be the one in charge of your life, you'll believe that he paid your sin debt. The Bible says you will be saved. But I'm going to tell you, that that decision is a life-changing decision. If whatever happened religiously in your life didn't change your life, I have no confidence that it changed your destiny. My plead with you is to, first of all, make sure of your own salvation. And then maybe it's time for a checkup. To just go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'll do whatever it is. I don't even know what you're stirring my heart to do, but whatever it is, Lord, I'll do it. And if you're thinking you're too old, let me tell you, my dad's 90. Now, he's sick today, so he's not there. But typically on Sundays, he teaches two classes. And when the preacher is out, he fills in for him. You see, if you're still breathing, God still has a plan for your life. If you'd like to counsel about that, I'm going to be here while we sing uh, an invitation. What shall we sing?